0: You know, learn, obviously relearn what happened there, but also just to see, you know, what's the experience that, that, how it can speak to us in our life uh, today. So, uh, today we're going to take our our cue from uh, uh, the Gospel of Mark, the 14th chapter, and if you go there, it says uh, Jesus uh, went with his disciples to a place called, where? Gethsemane, Gethsemane, and he told them, uh, sit here a while, while I go and pray. And uh, so we're going to visit Gethsemane today. Uh, To give you a sense of where Gethsemane is in Jerusalem, if you look at the next slide there, uh, you can see that I've got the the, uh, place that is kind of the historical kind of traditional understanding of where it probably was, marked with the blue arrow up there, right? So uh, right there, okay? And then uh, I highlighted some different places for you so you get a sense also of how it uh, kind of positions itself in the whole... uh, set up in Jerusalem there so over here is the Mount of Olives and you remember the Mount of Olives is where Jesus was what we celebrate is Palm Sunday and he marched down the Kidron Valley here and that's what this is right in here the big Kidron Valley and then right up to the Golden Gate Uh, and over here is the Temple Mound where the temple was and uh, down over here it's kind of off the map but down over here is uh, where the upper room was so the experience that we're going to be looking at is uh, Jesus leaving the upper room on that uh, time before his arrest and his passion, leaving the upper room, going down through the Kidron Valley and back up and over to that Garden of Gethsemane. And to give you a, a sense of what that, what that looks like, the next slide uh, kind of shows you what it is kind of going from uh, Old Town Jerusalem, where Jesus probably was in, in the upper room, to uh, the Garden of Gethsemane. And again, I've got the blue arrow there to kind of show you. Mount of Olives is over here, just the edge of it, and then the Garden's over here. And Jesus would have come probably this way. Uh, and remember, the Kidron Valley is really that. It is a valley, right? So you come out of Jerusalem and you go down uh, into the valley, and then you have to come back up uh, to get to Mount of Olives or get to uh, uh, the Garden of Gethsemane. If you look at the next slide, kind of gives you the opposite view, Right? Uh, so this is kind of the view from the Garden of Gethsemane looking back to uh, to the Temple Mound. And you can see the Golden Gate is right, right there where Jesus would have probably gone. Um, so it looked like a long ways, by the way. Pretty good distance, right? So he was out in a ways away um, uh, before he was arrested and then uh, taken back. Um, but the Garden of Gethsemane itself, if you look at the next slide... Um, it looks kind of real gardeny right now, right, uh, as it kind of marks the site and the tradition of it. But in Jesus' day, you need to understand that the Garden of Gethsemane was simply an olive grove. It was a, a working, producing olive grove in all likelihood, and uh, Gethsemane itself means uh, olive press. And so, you know, in all likelihood, it was just this grove of trees that uh, the owner owned and used and was producing olive oil with the press and... Jesus was somehow in a relationship with this person, and so Jesus would withdraw. When he was in Jerusalem, he would withdraw to this, this olive grove uh, for kind of a time of retreat. And we know that he's there, of course, on this start of his passion, but he's probably been there before because Judas knows that uh, this is where he can find him, right? And so he's withdrawn to this place. Uh, and what we want to look at uh, today is to look at the experience of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane And and just what can we draw uh, for ourselves? What what can we learn from it? If you follow along, then in uh, Mark 14, it says, you know, Jesus went to the the Garden of Gethsemane uh, uh, and told his disciples to sit. Then it says an interesting thing in verse 33: it says, Jesus took along Peter, James, and John. He was sad and troubled, and he told them, I'm so sad that I'm feeling as if I am dying stay here and keep awake with me how is Jesus feeling in this moment he is really bummed right? he is really sad if, if you if you go to the Greek that lies behind it the uh, one of the Greek words that's used there to kinda of get that phrase of being really deeply sad um, we get the modern-day word periphery from it right and periphery means surrounding right? So. The inference is that Jesus was just kind of surrounded by sorrow. He is just surrounded by his sadness and by his sorrow. It is just kind of this overwhelming weight that is just weighing on him in this night. So he goes to the Garden of Gethsemane and he's carrying this burden and this, this weight and he goes there to accomplish and he does two things as he, as he goes there. First thing you need to notice that he does was right in the beginning of that verse. You notice when he goes there, he goes with the 11 disciples, right? I mean, Judas is off betraying him. So he goes with the 11 disciples, but when he gets to the garden, he goes to specific disciples, kind of an inner circle, and says, now you come a little further with me and just stay a stone's throw away from me. So interesting, isn't it, that when Jesus is in crisis, when there's chaos erupting now, his life is unfolding it's, it's getting uncontrollable chaos things are going to start happening he decides to go off and surround himself with some specific people this is a learning moment this is a learning moment for us you know what so often happens to us our life goes into chaos and things get kind of awry and unexpected stuff happens and it's no longer calm anymore it gets chaotic and it feels out of control and we get deeply saddened or we just get burdened or we get heavy and we tend to withdraw and be alone anybody familiar with that? right? Things get heavy. And so what do we do? We tend to withdraw from life. We tend to withdraw from our friends. We withdraw from our support systems. And we tend to just kind of be alone. Right? It happens around church all the time. Some folks will have some crisis going in their life. They don't really tell us about it. And, and so all of a sudden they're not showing up at worship. And, and then uh, you ask their friends, well, you know, where's Susie and Johnny and Mary? Where, where are they? And, and they say, well, you know, I, don't, I haven't seen them for a while. Haven't, they usually call me, but I haven't talked to them for a while. See, so often the tendency for us is that when crisis comes, is to just kind of withdraw and try to suck it up and bear it ourselves. What Jesus does is he gives us a model that says, No, listen, I am so burdened, I am so saddened in this moment. But what's he do? He surrounds himself with some others. I think it's a learning moment there. He surrounds himself with others that as he goes to the garden of gethsemane he won't go alone it says that he withdraws yes but just a stone's throw away so that uh, these inner circle guys that he brings with them they're within hearing distance of what's going on they're they're within earshot of what's going on they they can take in what jesus is going to pour out in his prayers jesus surrounds himself with other folks When crisis comes into your life, when you're in chaos, when things get really heavy, when burdens just weigh the heck out of you, what do you need to do? You need to surround yourself with other strong Christian people. You need to let them into the experience so they can hear what's going on in your life and help bear that burden with you. Second thing Jesus does in the text is it says that he not only asks them to go along, uh, but he also got busy in praying he got busy in praying if you uh, look at the picture the next picture of uh, the garden of gethsemane there when uh, when you're there and you're in the garden you kind of tell you're in a whole olive grove right can you count the number of trees that are there how many trees are there one two three four i can't count them all can you right? i mean it's just a lot of trees in a garden in an olive grove right you see, the reality is when crisis comes upon us, when, when we're in a chaos in our lives and they get really heavy, the Bible would teach us that we need to do more than just one thing. We need to get some multiple things going on in our life. One thing is surround ourselves with some other strong Christian folks so we don't go it alone. The second thing is we need to get engaged in significant prayer with the Father. And that's just what Jesus does. He doesn't just sit down with the guys and say, now i got this problem, I'm feeling really sad under dying. But then he also puts his efforts and focus on praying with the Father. And what's interesting about how he prays is he is so open and absolutely honest with the Father. Now, remember, we're talking about Jesus here, right? This is the guy that prior to this walked on water, calmed the seas. I mean, he did some pretty neat stuff. Now it's right before his passion, and he's in the Garden of Gethsemane. And I want you to listen to his prayer and listen to his words, and see how incredibly honest and straightforward he is with the Father in his prayers. Here, here's what it says: Jesus walked on a little way, then he knelt down on the ground and he prayed. Now listen, Father, if it's possible, don't let this happen to me, Father. You can do anything. Don't make me suffer by having me drink from this cup. Isn't that incredibly honest? I mean, he's, he's just bold at Father, look, I just, I don't want to have to go through this if I don't have to. Father, I, I don't want to bear the sins of the world if there's at all another possible way. Father, this is going to be hard. It's going to be tough. I really don't want to have to go through this if there's any other possibility. I'd rather we do it a different way. You see, he just pours out what's honestly on his heart in this burdensome, heavy, chaotic moment in his life. And that's what God invites us to do. God just invites us to to pour out whatever is on our heart and to be absolutely, boldly honest with God and to just lay it out before Him. God can handle our prayers, whatever they are. God can handle whatever it is that we put in front of Him. Here's Jesus, His very Son, who came for this very purpose. And yet, right when it's all beginning to unfold, Jesus is just laying out His honest sadness and His burden before the Father. But now notice where He ends up, of course. He ends up with the last phrase saying, But do what you want... And not what I want. You see, as we lay out our desires, as we lay out our fears, as we lay out our anxieties, as we're absolutely honest with the Father, we need to keep in focus the place that says, it's not about me, it's all about whatever God wants in my life. You see, it's to stay confident to know that whatever it is God wants in my life is better how can I know it's better because God knows the big picture see when we're in those circumstances and life is pressing upon us right we only see the circumstances of that small experience God on the other hand is well aware of the huge picture of our life and beyond that if we're truly faithful to Christ first if we say look it's not about me it's all about whatever you want God we gotta come to reality and know God doesn't always send us on cushy vacations. God doesn't always ask us to do the easy things. That when we're faithful and following what God wants, He sends us to places we may not want to go. He puts tasks in front of us that we may not want to pick up. But they're all about the big picture of Him understanding what needs to happen in our lives for our good. You see, Jesus was at that place. He was at the place saying, look, ah, the way I see it right now, this is a heavy burden. I'm sorrow unto dying. Father, if it's all possible, is there another way? And yet God knows the big picture. God knows the big picture in his life. And Jesus was able to come to that, that ending that said, look, it's not about me. It's all about you, Father. I and mean, Whatever you want has to be better than what I know and what I desire. That is a hard thing for us. The disciples that are with him have a hard time with this whole experience. If we go back to the text, we see the the weakness that we have coming to the forefront. It says in verse 37, When Jesus came back and found the disciples sleeping, he said to Simon people, Peter, are you asleep? Can't you stay awake just one hour? Stay awake and pray that you won't be tested. Now, get this last verse. You want to do what is right but you are weak. Anybody volunteer for that phrase? You want to do what's right, but you're weak. The Apostle Paul would volunteer. The Apostle Paul would step right up. He'd step right up and say, I know what God wants me to do. I know what the right thing to do is, but... I always keep doing the thing that I know God doesn't want me to do, and yet I'm drawn to do the very thing that I know God doesn't want me to do, even though I know what the right thing is God wants me to do. Sound familiar? I mean, this is the challenge for us, right? The challenge for us is in our weakness, we want to sleep to what God is doing in our life and just stay awake to what we want in our life. And what we want is the weakness and what God wants leads to glory you see the challenge for us is to stay awake to what God wants in our life and stay focused in that place that says it's not about me it's all about what God wants and just keep seeking what God wants. In the middle of that chaos, in that burden, in that struggle that we face, just to, to face that and just keep seeking what God wants. To not give up on God. This is what Jesus does. He doesn't give up on God. It says in the next verse, Jesus went back and prayed the same prayer. Did you see that? He goes and he prays, he lays it all out. He comes back and he finds the disciples in their weakness. And then what's his next response? He goes back and prays the same prayer. He goes back and he prays one more time. Lord, look, I don't want to do this. I just, if there's another way, make it possible. You see, but whatever you want, that's what I want to do. You see, we have the challenge of keeping focused in that cycle of persistence that says, you know what, as we go through the struggle, as we go through the chaos, we're going to stay focused on saying, God, I'm going to be persistent in seeking your desire. I'm just going to keep praying about it. The reality is when troubles come and chaos comes, they don't always disappear real quickly. I was here, uh, you know, Wednesday in the building when the storm blew through and you uh, that was quite a storm, agreed? I happened to be standing upstairs on the little walkway with that big glass, you know, window out there in front. It was an awesome place to stand and just watch this huge darkness just kind of come this way, right? It was, of course, don't tell my wife I was doing that, will. You? She always scolds me for standing in front of windows and watching storms. But but it's just awesome. But you know what I noticed about this particular storm? This storm kind of came, and it just blew right through, and it went. It left devastation behind, but it came, it blew right through, and it went. The trouble is, not all storms in our life work that way. Some storms, they just come, and they seem to persist in our life. They just don't blow through. They just kind of keep coming, and and the tension of it, and the burden of it, and the struggle of it, it just kind of hangs there on us. What Jesus does is he is persistent in that struggle he goes and he prays he confronts the weakness he goes and he prays and he comes back and confronts the weakness and notice he goes and he prays it says he kept returning to the disciples he found them sleeping again they simply could not keep their eyes open and they didn't know what to say then in verse 41 it says when Jesus returned to the disciples the third time how many times the third time you see he's being persistent isn't he He keeps praying disciples, praying disciples, praying disciples. He's persistent in continuing to just come before God the Father and say, here's what's on my heart, Father. Here's what's on my heart. But show me the way. Show me whatever it is you desire for me to accomplish for you. That's the task. Now, when you're standing at the Garden of Gethsemane and look at the next slide and see this tree there, it's a kind of an awesome thing because you're standing with all these uh, these trees around. I mean, what do you notice about that tree? I mean, it looks like really kind of gnarly and old and crusty and curmudgeon doesn't it? I mean, it just kind of looks really kind of... But then what else do you see coming out of the tree? Out of this old, gnarly, dead-looking stump tree out of the sides what do you see you see that you see those green kind of tender looking branches that come out of there and then and then all the leaves and the leaves produce the fruit and so you've got this kind of gnarly crusty old tree and yet out of that where you would look at that and say boy that, I mean, it doesn't look like any life could come out of there right and yet there it is there's a new green branch flourishing You see, that's what our confidence is. When we're in those burdensome places, our confidence is that God can bring about something new. That God can move us through this storm and keep us focused on accomplishing what He wants. And eventually we will be able to do exactly what Jesus does. And I love this part of the text. This is like my favorite part of his experience in Gethsemane. It's what he says uh, at the end after he's been praying and just earnest about seeking what God wants him to do in these next days. It ends this way. He says, enough of that. Right? You want to say that with me? You can see it, right? Enough of that. Isn't that cool? Enough of that. I'm done with that. Okay, I've been through the sorrow, the burden, the sadness, the struggle, the chaos. Enough of that. I've sought the will of the Lord. I've been fervent in saying, God, whatever you put in front of me, I'm going to do. He just comes to that place and says, okay, good. Enough. Enough is enough. Enough of that, right? And it says, the time has come for the Son of Man to be handed over to sinners. He now just says, look, enough of that. I'm done with that, I'm moving forward, and I'm doing whatever it is God wants in my life. Isn't that great? He just says enough. You see, the challenge for us is to come to that place when we're in the middle of that chaos and that sorrow to just say, okay, I've sought the Lord, I've laid it out before the Lord, I want to do whatever God has for me, and you know what? It's time to just step up, step out, and step forward. Enough of that. To not stay captured the burden and the chaos enough of that there comes a time when you just have to say it's time to step forward because whatever it is I'm going through God is apparently going to see me through this because he wants me to be in this place God is going to be with me even in the valley of the shadow of the darkness and his rod and his staff are going to comfort me and that's all I need Jesus comes to that place and says, enough. I'm ready to step forward. Now, I want you to see today, and it's always our goal, is for you to see how that just kind of intersects into life. And so I'm going to invite one of our our young women to come up. It's uh, Mary Etzel. And uh, uh, she's going to share kind of a testimony with you um, of an experience in her life where, um, you know, God created a challenge for her and an opportunity for her um, to go make a difference in the world. And so uh, Mary went on a mission trip uh, down to uh, Honduras, right?
1: I did, yeah. You did. Mm
0: -hmm. And if I remember, uh, you know, God just kind of put this on your heart with some other people around you.
1: Yeah, he did. Um, Originally I was supposed to go last year, and um, there's a huge political kind of scandal, and the president ended up being ousted of the country by the military, and there was a military coup, and then a lot of violence surrounding that, and that all happened the day before I was supposed to go, so <laughs> I ended up not oh, going she last She
0: said year. that so politely, too. <laughs> oh, there's just this little military coup, and, you know, nothing big. And...
1: It was very dramatic. But <laughs> 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 um, so that all happened last summer, the summer after I graduated, yeah. so I was planning on going to Honduras, and then I didn't have a job lined up yet, so it kind of changed the whole course of the year, but thankfully I was able to go this year.
0: And that obviously created some challenge and some stress in your life, and some anxiety, and a yeah. call for confidence in what God wanted you to do, right?
1: It, it very much did, yes. Yeah. So it was a good, um, it was a good year here. So.
0: And He never uh, kind of took that off your heart to go to Honduras.
1: He did not. No. <laughs> um, in fact, when I I got a job at Freighter, one of my contingents on hire was that I was able to go on this trip still. So it ended up working out really well. So um, here's a picture actually from the little town we were in, Orica, Honduras. It has a population of about 2,000 people. And then on the next slide, there's a picture of Honduras. It's in Central America, as most of you guys probably know. It has a population of about seven million people, um, and the average income per person per year is $660, which is about 2.3% of what it is in the United States. Is about $31,000 here, so it's a very poor country. Um, 40 percent unemployment rate. And then back in 1998, Hurricane Mitch hit and destroyed 60 percent of the infrastructure of the country, so all the roads and the hospitals and the schools. So it's a a place that has a lot of rebuilding to do. And then, of course, like I mentioned, the um, political coup. um,
0: That little thing. Yeah, yeah.
1: (laughs) that. So on the next slide, um, you can see a picture of our team that went down. I went down with a team of people from Blackhawk Church in Madison, Wisconsin, and that's where I went to school. And there were about five doctors, a few nurses, and a handful of people uh, just from the church who wanted to come and help out in the pharmacy or wherever. And it was a great group, because we had uh, people as young as high school all the way up to retirees, and it was awesome. Then on the next slide, that's a picture of one of the clinic rooms. That was our procedure room, and this is those are two of the doctors who went on the trip. And in that room, we did everything from wash-out ears to surgery on that little table over there. So it was quite the creative use of space, so it was great. And then on the next slide, uh, there's a picture of another one of our exam rooms. And the reason I chose to put this one up there, those, those are a couple other girls that went on the trip, um, is because you see the otoscope and ophthalmoscope on the wall in the background, and they have those little covers they stick on the ear thing. Um, they reuse those in Honduras. Here we just kind of you know, toss them after every use, but they rewash wash and reuse because they have to be really good stewards of their resources and they don't have a lot of money. And then this was stuff we brought down up there is our fabulous central supply room where we creatively used what we brought and then down below uh, was our pharmacy and we ended up bringing about 40 different, mostly over-the-counter drugs actually, but the people don't have access to them there so we'd have people sometimes waiting for up to eight hours just to get Advil. So it was very, that that was a very humbling experience too. Mm -hmm. And then we, uh, we're thankful to have a dentist along with us, and this is kind of the nicer part of the clinic here because the town had recently purchased a new dental chair because they were excited that they were having their first dentist ever come to work in the town.
0: The first dentist ever.
1: Ever. <laughs> so there are a lot of extractions, not many cleanings done. <laughs> And then this this is one of my favorite pictures. This is kind of like the typical mayhem of the day. If you look in the back towards where the light was coming in at the door, there's just a, tons of people there. There would be anywhere between 40 to, like, 200 people waiting to get in to try to get to that central desk there where that tall blonde woman is standing uh, to try to get an appointment with one of our five doctors. And um, you can see in the back right corner I'm being very helpful. I'm sitting in a chair, so... <laughs> And then um, one of the things that Blackhawk really tries to, hard to do is partner with local churches um, in order to make it less of like a swoop and dive of a change and more of a long-standing community change. And the name of the church they work with is Alpha E Omega there. They have about 40 members, mostly comprised of women and children because men in Honduras aren't very active in the church. And uh, the reason I threw up the other picture over there is that there's Sunday school rooms. So that's where all the kids um, 12 and under gather during the service for you know kids camp or whatever. And then, this is just a little flashback. I did go to Honduras a couple of years ago, and thanks so much to many of you guys here actually supported me on that trip, and we, I worked with the UW landscape architecture program to build this playground, so they've, it's, really, it's been great. It was so cool to see the kids playing on it, because last time I was there, they were playing in the streets, so and now they have some place to go, so it's good this is just a random smattering of the top picture is my host mom that I stayed with and then um, the picture below is one of the nurses and one of the members of the church and um, just a cute little kid in the other one (laughs) and then um, I wanted to end with this picture here, this is a picture of a man named Alfonso and he's 87 and he lived in the community. Uh, he came to the clinic on kind of the middle, middle of the week, it was a busy day, but I could tell you know, he was having a lot of trouble walking, had a walking cane and we got him a chair and finally got to see him at the end of the day and he was complaining of pain on his like, his backside and took a look and he had a huge pressure ulcer, probably from sitting so much because he could have, was having his mobility issues. So. Uh, the doctor and I, you know, we got it cleaned up, whatever, and um, sent him on his merry way, which is easy to say, but th- there's no paved roads in this town, so he walked another two miles to get back to his house, and uh, the doctor and I decided that we should pay him a home visit before we left, so we went to check up on him, and he invited us into our house, which was more of a, a little shack. There was no bathroom, barely a kitchen, just a, bed, a room with a bed in it, basically, and, um, you know, we helped him out medically, and then... We were talking to him a little bit and came to find out he's actually a member of the Alpha E Omega church that's there. Uh, but because of his he couldn't walk very well, he couldn't get there very often. So we asked if we could pray for him and he just his eyes lit up and then he just started to weep uncontrollably and I'm like, Oh my gosh, great. So here, you know, we're praying I'm praying in English, the translators praying in Spanglish and the um, and Alfonso starts praying in Spanish and this goes on. For a good couple of minutes, and then whenever we're done, you know, we're all crying. And it was just, the reason I love that moment so much is because it really brought the whole trip together for me, because Mm
0: -hmm. honestly,
1: you know, going down to give somebody, you know, a 30-day supply of Advil or to basically put a Band-Aid on their bigger medical issues because they don't have access to uh, the supplies or the, you know, the doctors and nurses that they need there really in the long run probably isn't going to make the hugest difference but i know what did make a difference was touching the hearts and getting to know people and sharing god's love with them and um in the bible there are over 300 verses that talk about helping the poor and god's concern for the poor and injustice and i feel like 300 times god says that i cannot ignore that so
0: absolutely yeah exactly And just him in particular um, i mean obviously if anybody wanted to make a gift you'd see to it that that would get to the right place to, to help yeah, you out. Yeah,
1: we're actually, I'm working with my Honduran contacts, nothing concrete yet, to um, see if we can try to get Alfonso a bathroom. So that's kind of the big goal. So I would definitely keep it be you good guys to have a bathroom. Yes. A bathroom would be great. So, um, And then the one other thing I wanted to throw out there is there's this book called Operation World. I don't know if you guys have heard of it. You can get it on Amazon. It's like $14. But it's a great resource if you're interested in learning more about different countries and uh, mission needs. It has a listing of every country... Uh, in the world as well as ways that you can pray for them and information about the country. It's a great resource. So,
0: Awesome. Great. Thanks, Mary. Yeah. Thank you. And for me, I, I mean, I invite Mary to come up and share that with you because I, I think it's a story of, you know, one of our own, you know, that uh, God put something on her heart and uh, said, this is what I want you to do, and then, you know, chaos hit. And uh, she went to an unsafe place and uh, had to go through some struggles in a year of, like, how am I going to work and what am I going to do, and yet – God still had put that on her heart to say, This is where I want you to go. This is where I want you to go. And, uh, you know, it's important for us to just fulfill whatever He wants, right? And, he, and here she is with a group of people who are living in real chaos, you know. And yet, in the midst of that, you've got an elderly gentleman who lights up and tears flow because he understands the awesome grace and love of Christ. And uh, that's what we're about. So I just hope you hear the word this day and you look at what Jesus did, you look at what Mary did. Just look at your own life and keep asking that question. What is it that you want, God? What is it you want, Father? Because that's the most important thing. Let's pray for that. Father, thanks. Thanks for your word this morning. Uh, The word that comes to us from Jesus as we see his life unfold. and His willingness to face all things and be faithful to you. Uh, and the word that comes from Mary today that she too was willing to just be in that place and uh, even though it was uh, a threatening place a place that you wanted her to be because there were people in need that needed to know your love and we just uh, thank you that you preserved and kept her and uh, now you send her forward to do even more Uh, we just ask your blessing now on everybody in the room that you would just speak to them about what it is that they struggle with whatever that little chaos is in their life, that you would speak to it today, that you would help them discern and to know and to say, it's enough, it's time, I'm going to walk God's way. We put this into your hands, Jesus. Amen.